Welcome back to the Florida History Podcast. I'm Carter Krishnayer. And I'm Robert Bucciolato. In the late 1950s, a columnist for the New York Times was staying at a plush Miami Beach hotel when her room was being cleaned. The maid was an elderly African-American woman with arthritis, poor eyesight, and an air of stately dignity. After chatting with the woman for a few minutes, the columnist turned to her in amazement. Oh my goodness, she said. You're, you're Zora. With a laughter, the elderly lady looked back at her and said, I used to be. This brief exchange led to a series of interviews and a reassessment, however briefly, for Zora Neale Hurston. It was a name that the American Literary Society had almost forgotten about. She hadn't really written anything in any meaningful way for the past few years. She had been living mostly off of what income she could get from odds and end jobs, a few little publishing offers here or there, but mainly from government assistance. And yet here she was being interviewed, dressed up in her best. She went home and changed. And she was making it clear to this columnist that uh, she wasn't really a maid, but she was on assignment. She was trying to gather information for a story. It might have seemed like a bit of obvious deflection to save the great author's ego, but then again, you never really could tell because she wasn't just a artist or a short story novelist. She was also a filmmaker. She was an anthropologist and she seemed to always try to be where the action was. Having written more than 50 short stories, plays, essays, and four critically acclaimed books, including her magnum opus, Their Eyes Were Watching God, she seemed to always be reaching out for experiences, trying to live life in every single avenue available. So while it might have been obvious that this was a woman who was struggling financially and, you know, taking any work she could get, it also wasn't too far to stretch your imagination and imagine that here she was once again, just trying to find another story, trying to find a new scoop, trying to uh, move beyond her comfort zone. After all, it's what she had always done. While she's probably best known for the great fiction that she had written about contemporary life for African Americans throughout the South and during the Harlem Renaissance, she was also a great, great nonfiction writer and one hell of a reporter, especially for uh, uncovering and really almost shedding a light on what it was to be a part of the cultural 
happenings of her race during this time period in American life, during the time period of segregation, how these people who would be in um, many cases unincorporated little villages or towns still formed a community even though they had no assistance from the outside world they were still able to have this um, shared community shared identity shared narrative and um it was always very vibrant, very colorful. Her stories, whether she was traveling to Haiti or Jamaica, uncovering the voodoo culture or the uh, hodoo culture, or if she was just parading around the South, um, exploring what Southern Baptist uh, tent revivals were like, she had this wonderful, amazing way to document and catalog and research and get to the meat of the story and really uncover some truly compelling and frankly at that time unrecognizable struggles that african-american um people in general to say nothing of women felt uh this was a time period where they were as marginalized as you could get. And her books still managed to have a, a great joy, a great um, colorful dynamic. And, and it's just, um, they're just beautiful, excellent reads. When she was born in Alabama, her grandparents um, had been born into slavery. So this was very much a South that was still struggling and recovering from its great loss. This was still a time period where even though um, technically her race was free, they still were grappling with um, the, the Jim Crow uh, dynamic of the time and place. Her father was a Baptist preacher. He was a sharecropper. Um, he was a carpenter. Her mother was um, a school teacher. Yet, um, over time, they began to prosper um, by the standards of um, of their neighborhood, and uh, their community was actually incorporated. And her father ended up uh, becoming mayor of the town. Uh, she studied at um, Howard. She then got a scholarship um, to uh, study anthropology. And uh, then she got bitten by the, the bug, the journalist bug, the short story writing bug. And um, there she was, uh, a college graduate, and she was living off of a research stipend. And she was traveling throughout the country in particular the South, uh, part uh, documentarian and part, uh, uh, you know, anthropologist. And um, it was just a, a really interesting life for her. And um, she was one of those uh, rare people where she just had this um, radiant magnetic personality and um, a, an amazing sense of humor that um, it, it didn't really matter who you were. You just wanted to be around her. You wanted to um, sit down and, and chat with her. Um, she just seemed like a, a, a great amount of fun.
And even when, you know, she was uh, around uh, scholars and anthropologists, uh, you always see in the images this uh, sort of air of um, cavalierness that the others have. And you know that it, it's not probably not something that they normally would have, but they get it from her. And uh, she just had this way to make people feel comfortable, make people want to know her. And um, that's usually when they let their guard down and she was able to get such wonderful, interesting stories out of them. Yeah, Robert. And I think in addition, Zora Neale Hurston was... um, I think just such a remarkable woman in how thoroughly um, versatile she was as a writer, as an anthropologist, as someone who studied human behavior, as someone who um, was in in her own ways a civil rights advocate. I know that kind of sometimes gets some blowback historically calling her that. Um, and was, quite frankly, interesting enough for them to do an entire PBS American Experience show on her, uh, which aired earlier this year. And uh, very few subjects related to the state of Florida have been covered uh, in that uh, series. Now, uh, Michael Grunwald, our friend who's done multiple podcasts with us in the past, uh, he had uh, his book, The Swamp, uh, turned into an American Experience, which was quite, quite good. Um, That was, I think, aired in 2018 or 2019. Uh, But this is really kind of the only the second Florida-specific topic uh, in many ways. I mean, I mean there's, a, there's obviously a non-Florida angle to it as well, but so much of, 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 of her um, work and existence was around Florida. And I realized that so much of what she did was in Washington and New York and um, Jamaica and Haiti, and uh, uh, she lived in Honduras for a period of time. Uh, but she always said Eatonville, uh, which, of course, I, I think all, all our listeners know is in Orange County, was her home. Uh, born in Alabama, she moved to Eatonville, moved to Orange County at a young age. It was one of the few kind of thriving all African-American communities in the state at the time. Uh, and you were living under the constant threat of violence. Um, Orange County, Central Florida, was particularly violent with uh It's racism, something we've talked about repeatedly on this podcast. She also did some pretty amazing work or tried to do some pretty amazing work up in uh, North Florida, uh, Swanee County, uh, when it came to discussing uh, a... local case which involved... um, an African-American man uh, allegedly murdering a white doctor in town. And um, this was an eye-opener also for, for her as she realized that there was a culture of silence. Like, for example, Rosewood happened in the 1920s. We've talked about this before, too. There was a culture of silence where the survivors, African-American survivors, didn't talk about it for decades uh, generations almost, and something similar in Live Oak, which is uh, uh, Swanee County, Live Oak area, which is uh, uh, also was was marked by some very uh, hardcore uh, racism. 
she passed away in 1960 um, in Fort Pierce, kind of destitute, uh, financially in, 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 uh, in some trouble, which is pretty incredible for one of the great figures of the Harlem Renaissance and one of the great figures in Florida history. But it wasn't long before her contributions were once again recognized. And as I said, uh, one of very few subjects related to the state of Florida that has gotten their own PBS American Experience documentary, which I recommend everybody listen to, uh, everybody watch, excuse me, uh, came out, I think I want to say in January, and we have a link uh, to, to the program. Uh, you'll have to, if, if you're not registered with PBS, you'll have to register, uh, say where you live, and, and then they'll, they'll refer you to your local PBS uh, station. Uh, and of course, if you're in South Florida, there are multiple PBS stations. Uh, but in other parts of the state, uh, they're uh, generally one PBS station per market. Um, and you can, you can watch the documentary, which I highly recommend. Anyway, thank you, Robert, uh, once again. And thank you for listening to the Florida History Podcast during this Women's History Month 2023. We will be back with another new Florida History podcast next week. Um, and uh, we will talk to you then.